0: I wish you could see my beautiful and battered copy of your book, Ella Enchanted.
1: This is Gail Carson Levine. Reading fan mail she received for her book, Ella Enchanted.
0: Your book came to me in third grade during the Scholastic Book Fair. I had recently been diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, characterized by uncontrollable tics.
1: The book's main character, Ella, is cursed with obedience.
0: I instantly connected with her curse. I could not control the commands my brain was giving me any more than she could control herself when someone gave her an order. Then she did. Her a happy ending gave me the courage to find my own, and I learned to control my tics. At first, even a few minutes, she's quoting, quote, even a few minutes were a desperate struggle, end quote. But I slowly figured it out, And now when people meet me, no one even knows I have TS, all because I had someone to relate to, even if she was fictional. So the point of my story, thank you so very much for writing the perfect book at the right time for a little girl who fiercely needed it. So that is very moving.
1: Some books are just more important to young readers than others. And it's safe to say that for those who've read it, Ella Enchanted is one of them. Gail reads another letter.
0: Dear Gail, when I first read Ella Enchanted, I was filled with such a super wonderful warmth, followed by a sort of sorrow, which was also warm feeling in a way, because I was afraid I would never read a story as fantastic as E.E. again, so I reread it that same day. The stories you tell are like family to me because they know me so, so well. There's nothing sweeter than being seen. Thank you dearly.
1: I'm Lindsay Jacobson, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. Today, we're going to talk about Ella Enchanted, It's a Newbery honor book that retells the classic fairy tale, Cinderella. We'll hear from author Gail Carson Levine, her editor, as well as some serious fans.
2: It's just hard for girls to meet a character like that in fairy tale format or in any format. Someone who's rebellious and smart and clumsy and like a real person.
1: Before Gail started working on Ella Enchanted, she'd just finished reading Robin McKinley's Beauty. It's a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. I decided to see what I could do with the fairy tale. And I had always loved fairy tales. She'd wanted to do a biggie herself and decided she'd reinterpret Cinderella. But there was a problem. I thought about the fairy
0: tale as it came down to us, and I didn't understand Cinderella. I didn't understand her obedience. I didn't like her sweetness, um, which was also incomprehensible and seemed saccharine to me, uh, just too sweet, too dripping.
1: When she started to write the book, Cinderella's passivity stumped her. The story didn't make any sense. So I was in trouble until I came up with the curse of obedience, and then I was able to write her. Gail created the curse as a way to explain the pervasive obedience in the original story. The main character is Ella, you know, like Cinder Ella. And on the day she's born, a well-meaning but somewhat foolish fairy gives Ella the gift of obeying every command issued to her. Ella quickly realizes the condition is more of a curse than a gift. But then her mother dies and her father starts courting a noblewoman with two daughters. One of her future stepsisters figures out Ella's obedience and takes advantage of it. So her life gets even more difficult. Ella hopes to find the fairy that cursed her and to convince her to lift the curse. She ultimately runs away. On the way, she encounters giants, elves, and ogres who try to eat her.
0: All of my books are adventure stories. She's braver than I was. You know, she's aspirational, as she may be for a lot of readers.
1: Gail wanted to stick pretty close to the main plot points of the original story. I wanted to get in the three balls. I wanted to get in the glass slippers. I wanted to get in the small feet. But as with Ella's character, She wanted to make better sense of the details. And I wanted to get in the small feet
0: without small feet being this uh, ideal of um,
1: delicate, tiny womanhood. So I wanted to explain it some other way. In her version, Ella's feet are tiny because she's got a drop of fairy blood in her. And fairies have tiny feet. Gail has always loved fairy tales. As a kid, she read them pretty uncritically. But as an adult, she started to find the tropes and lessons in them somewhat upsetting. I'm not crazy about the ugly duckling. I mean, I have find a lot
0: wrong with the ugly duckling. That um, the ugly
1: duckling is only redeemed by becoming a swan. In other words, only beauty can save the duckling. I mean, that's very troubling. Or take The Boy Who Cried Wolf. That fable irritates me so much,
0: because I think that it really is about a community abandoning a child. They give a child a very big responsibility. Uh, Twice he shows that he's not ready for it, and then they just leave him there. Instead, she preferred stories like Peter Pan. Peter Pan opened me up to an idea of childhood that was delightfully off-limits for me, because um, James Barry describes
1: children as heartless, and that was very freeing. Because children never got to be heartless in other stories she read. Being heartless didn't follow the accepted narrative of a kid's book. She loved the idea that this other version of childhood was possible. So when she started writing Ella Enchanted, she took Cinderella's message.
0: The message is be good, be obedient, Uh, don't make waves and you'll be rewarded. Somebody eventually will notice, especially if you're pretty.
1: And subverted the accepted narrative. She made Ella rebellious, clumsy, curious, smart, spunky, and all the things that girls didn't get to be in fairy tales. Ella fought against her obedience. She was good at learning languages and had interests outside of marrying the prince. Gail says she wasn't trying to make a statement. That's just what women in her life were like. I grew up in a family where, uh, with two girls,
0: and I was never given any messages that girls were less or stupider or anything like that. My mother graduated from college at 16, and my father never finished high school. And my father was so proud of, of having a brilliant wife that I was kind of set up by
1: my family to incorporate a lot of that very naturally. Unsurprisingly, Ella the character spoke to real-life, smart, spunky girls. They devoured the book's pages on couches, in bed, before sleep. They'd finished the book only to turn it back to the beginning and start reading it anew.
3: And I'm staring at a copy of my book right now and the spine is starting to fall apart a little bit and there are all these creases in the cover. It has the bottom right edges nibbled like a quarter inch in. And it's pretty yellow.
1: The girls grew older and kept reading the book. Over and over and over again, like a mantra. Reading it many times. But exactly how many times?
3: Easily a hundred. Maybe two hundred.
2: At least fifty or sixty. I think I remember the first couple of lines. I think it's something like, That fool of a fairy Lucinda never meant to lay a curse on me. She meant to bestow a gift. When I cried inconsolably through the first hour of my life, she something-something laid a hand on me, and yeah, I don't remember quite after that.
3: I would just read it to myself on the couch over and over again. It was a little weird. It almost felt like this private thing for me the first couple times I read it, I think. And only later was it this really exciting discovery that other... Young women had read it, too, and had such strong feelings about it.
1: One of the girls who read it over and over and is now an adult is Claire Fallon.
3: I think it was important
4: to me because even from a young age, you know, my parents really wanted me to want more for myself.
1: Today, Claire is a culture writer for The Huffington Post and a big-time Ella fan. She even wrote a piece about how Ella is a feminist icon.
4: I was always encouraged to have dreams of my own and to believe that I could achieve as much as my brothers, if not not more, to be honest. But often that isn't mirrored in what you're reading about yourself or seeing about yourself. And so I did have this very deeply rooted sense that um, that I wasn't seeing anything to aspire to being presented to me. I didn't want to be like Cinderella in the Disney movie. I didn't want to be like Ariel in The Little Mermaid. I wanted someone who was interesting and who I wanted to hang out with.
1: The book came out in 1997, and when Claire read it for the first time, she was 9 or 10. At the time, strong female heroines were harder to find in kids' books than they are today.
4: And Ella also is living a sort of... A more aspirational lifestyle for a modern woman than a lot of fairy tale heroines where she is interested in languages and has a real like driving intellectual interest which fills out her life. She has a great friendship with her friend from boarding school mm-hmm. and so she just seemed to have a life that I wanted to slip into a little bit,
3: yeah Ella really had it all before I even knew what the phrase having it all meant, (laughs) you know.
1: That's Laura Hankin, a writer and a performer and also a huge Ella fan. She and Claire have been friends for years. They're in their 30s now and still gush about Ella Enchanted.
4: Just it's one of our favorite things to talk about.
1: And actually, it turns out it's not hard to find grown women who feel that way. They've carried their tattered copies of Ella Enchanted into adulthood, like flags. Friends Charlotte Stoffer and Lorraine Boissonneau learned early in their friendship, more specifically during their freshman year in college, that they both loved the book. Lorraine was having a hard time that year.
2: I think at one point I discovered that you'd been reading it that you had a copy that you were also loved it and, and I said here take mine
1: Lorraine ended up reading it that night
2: and it was so nice to a have someone who understood the the appeal of this and b have that to go back to again as a freshman in college because that's another point where you're just there's a lot of change and you're sort of coming of age in a different way
3: in college, this was officially my favorite book. And I read it every single night when I got to college for the first four or five months. It was my comfort blanket.
1: Charlotte says that as a freshman, there was a real fear of being out on your own, alone, for the first time. And Ella's wandering around strange and scary lands by herself helped her process her own experience.
3: There was this these couple of paragraphs where she delights in being by herself. Because no one can impose their will on her. And I still feel that. I take pride in enjoying my own company, doing what I like.
1: Lorraine says the lessons from the book are still with her, too.
2: I think it made me feel like I wanted to be that kind of person. Like I wanted to be brave and chase after the things that I wanted, even if they were hard to get or even if people were telling me I shouldn't go for them. Like, I knew around the time that I read this book that I wanted to be a writer at some point. And there wasn't a whole lot of guidance for how I would go about doing that. But if she could go out and run away from school and escape ogres, like, I could find a way to be a writer.
1: And she did. Lorraine's first book is called The Last Voyagers. Ella enchanted, taught, and comforted readers in small ways and in big, very big. Both Laura and Claire lost their mothers at a young age, just like Ella. Claire was 11 when her mom died.
4: And what was kind of striking to me in retrospect was how much I had already encountered maternal death in the books I was reading. It's very common in children's uh, stories for the mother to be missing or dead and I didn't like it. After my own mom died I think that it became sort of a comforting thing to see that my story could continue and have happiness in it even though this cataclysmic thing had happened that I, I didn't think a person could recover from.
1: Despite everything, Ella still got to live happily ever after, which meant maybe Claire could too. And how does one live happily ever after without a bit of romance? Here's
3: Laura. I definitely don't want to downplay the impact of the love story because that was huge for me.
1: <laughs> Ella and a prince named Char start to fall for each other. But as with other aspects of the story, Gale changed up the romance to be more appealing to modern girls. Unlike in Cinderella, Ella and Char get to know each other. They talk, they goof around by sliding down banisters at a party, they write funny and sincere letters to each other when they're separated. Here's Laura and Claire again.
4: She and Char seem like really nice people. They make each other laugh. Mm. They try to do nice things for each other. It's just so romantic.
3: It is! <laughs> oh, why is it? weren't teenage boys like that? <laughs>
4: I definitely think that it was one of the books that formed my romantic expectations. The idea that a a girl could be loved for being smart or for being funny was so different from the messages I was getting from other parts of pop culture, and I really latched on to the idea (laughs) that I could just be really funny or smart and that would make men love me. And um, It was hard to sustain that conviction in the face of reality. But I do think it was worth holding on to. Like, I do think I had the relationships that I had were with a better quality of guy because I expected them to value those things about me. And I'm grateful
3: for that. I think at the end of the day, reading Ella Enchanted so much teaches you that ultimately you want to be with somebody who is kind. And that's a hard lesson to learn sometimes, I think. Yeah. I think it sort of helped form my
4: idea of a marriage as just two best friends who are having a sleepover forever. <laughs> it seems like they're just have they're you know sliding down banisters in the palace together and that's something I really really wanted the rest of my life to look like. Yeah.
0: I I like to think that my books or most of them have been a safe place for kids and possibly because the main character is generally strong or find strength. And I think that helps us
1: all get through. Gail didn't start writing seriously until she was 39 years old. She kept diaries as a kid, but never stuck with them. When she was about 10, she and a group of friends started something called the Scribble Scrabble Club. It was the club that would produce this
0: literary journal. We didn't call it that. But we didn't produce it often or
1: for very long. Then in high school, she took a creative writing class. She had this teacher.
0: He wrote on one of my uh, stories, you know your problem, you're pedestrian. Kids often don't know what that means in, as an insult. But as an insult, it means basically you're boring. And Mr. Pashkin wasn't saying that, simply that my story was boring. Mm-hmm. He was saying that I was. And I'm a very practical, down-to-earth person. And I thought that that was what he was talking about, and that that was boring, and he was right, and I was boring. And how could a
1: boring person write an interesting story? So she gave it up. In college, she studied philosophy. When she graduated, she went to work for the New York City government. She helped people receiving government assistance find jobs. I was kind of a socially aware kid or young person, and I wanted to
0: do something that had some value. At first, she loved the work. She saw the best in people. I saw people behaving really graciously in very bad circumstances.
1: But there was a lot about the work that bothered her, the bureaucracy, the long hours clients had to wait to see someone, and some of her coworkers' bad behavior. I suppose that informs my villains a little bit, and my heroes. She was still working full-time when she started taking writing classes again. She wrote picture books and a historical novel. Her writing was getting rejected constantly, but at the time, it almost didn't matter. I was learning a craft. It was one of the happiest times of my life. She started writing Ella Enchanted in one of her classes. She wrote most of it on the train to and from work. And in those days, there were no laptops, so I wrote by hand and I edited and transcribed when I got home. After nearly a decade trying to get her writing out into the world, HarperCollins picked up the book. Ella Enchanted became her first published novel. Her current editor is Rosemary Brosnan. She didn't edit Ella specifically,
5: but she started working with Gail around 2004. The first time I met Gail, I went to hug her. And I didn't know how incredibly strong she is. She's a weightlifter, and she does exercise, really vigorous pull-ups and push-ups, and she's been working out for years, and she's, she's not tall. She's under five feet tall, and she's incredibly strong. <laughs> So she's a strong woman herself, (laughs) even physically strong. (laughs) Rosemary
1: says that strength, which also shows up in her writing, keeps her relevant. She adds people will always love fairy tales, and Gail's retellings give
5: readers, especially girls, a new way to think about what a heroine is. She has her own very strong personality. She gets messy. I love when she runs around and she gets muddy and she's not supposed to. She's really good at languages. She speaks many languages. She's smart. She likes to learn. And she has this curse of obedience placed on her. But she's one of the most disobedient heroines I think you can have, even given that curse. She doesn't want to obey at all. And she does everything she can to thwart the commands that she gets. So I think she, she's really empowering for girls who read this book. And I think that sticks with them. Rosemary says Gail has a singular style and doesn't really follow trends. I think she sort of writes outside of market considerations in a lot of ways. She writes what's in her heart, and that shows. And so the books feel really classic. I could say that a a Gail Carson Levine book that was published 20 years ago could be published today, and vice versa. They feel really classic. When I spoke with Gail, she was rather modest.
0: I was lucky that Ella got chosen as a Newbery owner because it was, you know, that Newbery committee that year that happened to like it. So it got a lot of attention. So, you know, there may be classics that hit all the right
1: points that don't get read as much. There are a few things, though, she says, that help make a book timeless.
0: Struggle, suffering, um agency, a protagonist that one can sympathize with, that one can find
1: oneself in, I think that's probably the most critical part. If her fans are any indication, she's certainly succeeded. By the way, Gail now has a follow-up to Ella Enchanted. It takes place in the same world as Ella Enchanted, and it's called Ogre Enchanted. The story is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast.
0: I've always been interested in Beauty and the Beast, and the aspect of it that interested me is that the Beast, if he doesn't find somebody who marry him, he's sunk.
1: In the original story, Beauty shows up and, well, she's kind of perfect. But Beast never has to wrestle with choice. Like, What if a girl showed up that he didn't like and he had to decide between marrying her or staying in his beastly form?
0: So we don't see him doing any choosing. And that irritated me.
1: True to form, Gail gave her characters more agency.
0: Evie, my main character, is turned into an ogre and in many regards, she is an ogre. She's hungry all the time, she gets angry at everything, Um, she wants to eat everybody, and yet she's also herself in there. And she hangs on to that. And she makes very ethical choices in spite of what may be the consequences for her.
1: We won't give too much more away, except to say that some of your favorite characters from Ella Enchanted are back in this companion novel. Special thanks to Gail Carson Levine and Rosemary Brosnan. For more about Gail's books, visit harpercollins.com. And thanks to Claire Fallon, Laura Hankin, Charlotte Stauffer, and Lorraine Boissonneau for joining us. They're writing and producing great stuff of their own, so look them up. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us spread the word about Remember Reading. Tell at least one or two people and help our listenership grow. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, and please rate and review us. It helps a lot. This episode of Remember Reading is produced by Stephanie Marutis of Covenda Media and Irina Jurov. I'm Lindsay Jacobson of HarperCollins. Thanks for listening. Until next time.